0: Take your Bibles to Mark chapter one and get used to doing that. We're gonna be going to Mark a lot. It's it's cool when you when you love somebody. I mean, whether it's 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 somebody that you meet and you're falling in love and you get engaged, or or if it's your grandkids, or whatever it is, when you love somebody, you can't help but brag on it. You 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 can't help but like you remember when you first fell in love or you met that person and began to click in your mind that this might be the person that you uh, marry and spend the rest of your life with. And you, you, you got to tell people, you tell your best friend, you tell your parents, you tell them because it, it stirred your heart. The, the gospel is, is them just bragging on Jesus. Them talking about his love and the difference that he made and his goodness and his riches and his teachings. And 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 they just they couldn't help it. And I I think it's important for us as Christians to fall in love with God so much that it's a natural reaction when we get around other people that you say, I just I just have to tell you about my Jesus. We were driving to camp on Monday, I was with the teens. We were, we were driving, and uh, we stopped at Burger King on the way there, and this, this guy got up out of his seat and went over to us, and I, I had no idea what he was doing or whatever. It was me and Logan and a couple of the other teens, and he walked right up to our table, and, and, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know, because that's not a normal thing that happens. And he said, where are you guys going? What's going on? Things like that. And then he just said, hey, can I just tell you something? When I was a little boy, my, my best friend, and he said his best friend's name, and he, he told who he was and things like that, and he said, uh, and then I went to a church, and, and I was sitting there uh, in a place called Awana, and you might not know who that is, but we, didn't, we knew what that was, and then he just said, and that's the night I met Jesus, and it was just a natural thing for this guy to do. Just that there was built up in his heart that I just I just want to tell you about my Jesus. That's right. Over the whole summer, I'm going to tell you all about my Jesus. This this passage opens up and begins to explain it, but I'm going to give you a lot of history. I'm going to give you background. I'm going to, I'm going to fill in some blanks. I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you why I have cameras on the stage. It's not because I'm that vain, I promise. We'll explain this. But the question is, what does Mark bring to the table that is different than the other Gospels? Why Mark? Why, why, why? Mark is one of the four Gospels. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because we, we tell the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's in the Gospel of Mark. We carry it around and we preach it, we teach it, we share it. But if somebody was to come up to you and say, who was this guy, Mark, and why is there four Gospels? I wonder how many of us in this room could give an answer to that. Let me just tell you, Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. That's a natural thing to think. We just wondering, well, then how did he learn this stuff? And you would think that the 12 disciples were the ones that told about Jesus because they walked with Jesus, but that's not necessarily how it went. Four Gospels is four views or four perspectives of the story of Jesus Christ. They work together, kind of like a string quartet or a four-piece quartet, four different instruments, four different sounds, but they blend together to form beautiful music. Now, they're not competing with one another, and, and, and they're both, they're all, they're all playing the same song, but from a different angle or different perspective, and as they play those strings, it makes beautiful music, and it tells a beautiful story. Another way of demonstrating this is the four Gospels would be like recording a movie. If you record a movie, if they make a movie, they do it from camera angles. So you've got one that's taking the the shot dead on as as the car is driving towards them. And then they've got one that's showing the perspective of the driver. And then you got one that's maybe flying over and one that's showing the cop that takes off after him. But what it is, is you've got all these different camera angles that are shooting at this story. It's all one story, one movie, but, but from different perspectives. They're not competing with one another. They're, they're just doing the angles to help you understand it more. I, I, I said on Wednesday night when it comes to God and we're trying to understand the Trinity, if we were to take a picture uh, of the Grand Canyon, because the Grand Canyon is so great in grandeur, that you would take one picture and go, oh, man, that doesn't do justice. Let me take this picture. Oh, that doesn't do justice. Let me, let me step back. No matter what you did, you could never do it to give the perspective or, or the magnitude of what it is. So God gave us the four Gospels, four perspectives, four angles. Let, let me tell you this, these four vantage points that they had. Matthew was one of them. So let, let's take this angle, okay? Let's label this one Matthew. Matthew's coming at it, and he starts the Gospels out totally different than any of the other ones. 17 verses at the beginning of it is genealogies. He just begins to break it down and lay it out of all the history that's going out. He was one of the 12 apostles. He was a tax collector. He had this odd background that he was kind of an enemy of the people of his friends around him. He speaks of Jesus as the king of the Jews. He goes into great detail of the history. He's one of the ones that talks about Mary and Joseph. Mark does not. Uh, John does not talk about the the, the beginning of the stories uh, of Mary and Joseph. Matthew is one of the only ones that goes and tells the angle of the Magi coming. But you have to understand, he was like big into the history. He was constantly pointing back to the Old Testament and digging into the Old Testament, saying that all of these things are prophetic and God said that they would happen. It was a very historical book. He repeats phrases like this. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying. So Matthew, when you get his angle, he's constantly saying, the Lord promised this, and the prophet said this. He's now Mark, when we get to Mark, Mark doesn't do that. Mark would take history, tap it on the head, and say, let's go. Mark, Mark is a very fast pace. I want to tell you all the highlights, and you'll understand why when we get there. It was a much different perspective of the Gospels. But Matthew was very powerful because he was explaining that Jesus came for the Jews and all about what Jesus said. That's why we got the Sermon on the Mount, one of the longest recorded teachings of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all recorded in there. He, Mark was more about what Jesus did. Matthew says a lot about what Jesus said. But you know why? It's, it's important because we need to know the history of where we came from. But we, we also need to know the action of what Jesus did. We, we need both perspectives as we get into the different angles of this. Luke is a historical book. Now, here's the thing. Luke was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. He did not. He was not one of the 12 that was called. He was not the one that walked with him in this way. He, he, had, he was one that traveled and had the communion of Paul. A lot of times Paul is mentioned with Paul uh, and Luke were traveling together. Luke does something different. He shares the perspective of the birth of Jesus Christ which tells me that he was a historian, so he was constantly taking record. You can imagine he's, he's interviewing Mary and saying, hey, what was it like, and what was Joseph thinking, and, and what, what did you feel, and how did you tell Joseph, and how, what was his reaction? And he's, Luke is recording all of this. He was a physician. He was very much so in the details. He would throw out terminology and stuff like that that you won't get from the other Gospels. Again, they all work in unity, but they're showing a different angle, a different perspective of this. He speaks of Jesus as being the Savior at all of all. When he starts talking about the crucifixion, he goes into more detail. Of course he would. Why? He's a physician. He's a doctor. Luke is the longest of the four Gospels. And it's interesting about Luke is he also wrote the book of Acts. It's neat because he tells all about what Jesus did, but then he keeps writing and talking about how the Christians took action, the acts of the apostles, of what Jesus did through that. So every bit of this, all of this, it's just one big puzzle that's coming together. Then there's John. John is way different. You've got the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are very similar, and John is way over here. John was one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. He has referenced or referenced himself as the one that Jesus loved. You, You talk about putting yourself on the he goes, I just know that Jesus loves me more than... Do any of you feel like your mom's favorite? Not very many of you. Okay. I'm sorry, John, John felt like he was, he was Jesus' favorite in a sense. He felt this way. He, he wrote about the divine nature of God in so many different ways. He was bringing this in. But he was one that was, he, we, we know one of his m- most famous teachings was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. He was constantly laying out the love of God. That, that is why we have the story of the, the woman at the well that's recorded in John. It's the only one that you're going to hear uh, that speaks of that story. He talks about this woman that's an outcast. And Jesus went out of his way to encounter her and began to witness to her because God loved her. Nicodemus, John chapter 3. He begins to tell a story that's not recorded in the other gospels. He began to talk about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Teaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ from the great love of God. And then we have Mark. He was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you read in the Bible, you're going to read him mentioned in other places, because his reference is Marcus or John Mark. He speaks as Jesus as a servant. Man, I'm glad that we have the perspective that he is the conquering king and sovereign Lord. And we need that. The genealogies prove that he comes from this long line that God said that he would bring us a king. But when Mark comes in and says, let me tell you about his humanity. Let me tell you how he loves people that are going through a hard time. Let, let Let me shoot an angle for you to get That God cares about you and how God is involved in the hurts and the problems. He's a suffering servant. He speaks in a very fast pace. He uses the words immediately and straightway. It's used 42 times in the passage. 12 times in the rest of the scriptures those words are used. But he does it 42 times. So he's constantly, and then Jesus went here and Jesus went here. He wasn't in the details. He was constantly, guess what Jesus did next? And then he was like, he went over here and he did this. Constantly in this fast-paced energy level. If you look at the history, you say Mark wasn't there, then here, here, how did he know all this stuff? He was trained and led to Christ according to the book of Peter by Peter himself. Wow. Well, think about Peter's perspective. Peter was that ADD guy. You know, it's like... You can imagine his Mark's writing the gospel down, and he goes, When well, then we went here. He's like, dude, slow down. I'm trying to write this here. And he's, he's writing this down. But Mark was so intrigued by all these things that he heard about God that he was writing them down and recording them. Mark was young. It said that he was probably 10 to 15, uh, born 10 to 15 years after Jesus was born. He was uh, this disciple of Peter, and Peter even referenced him. He said, you're my own son in the faith, which was referencing somebody that would lead somebody else to Christ. Now, let me tell you, during this time that all this was happening and the Gospels were, were, were being written, it was a really, really hard time. If you go to the middle of Acts, you're going to find that they were being persecuted. When Jesus came out of the tomb, for us it was victorious, but for the Romans and the people and the Pharisees it was defeat because it meant that they were wrong. They paid the soldiers to lie. To tell them that the disciples came and stole their body. That they, they wanted to create this conspiracy because they didn't want Jesus. Don't be surprised in that because Satan is always trying to pull down the glory of God. Always. And so all this conspiracy that goes out and they said that they came and stole the body of Jesus. He wasn't this. He wasn't right. We weren't wrong. That's not what happened in this. So during that time, they were out persecuting Christians. If you don't understand that, just study the the life of Paul himself. They were persecuting the Christians because they were treating them as if they were starting this revolt. Where during this time, Peter was one of the ones in the book of Acts. After Jesus ascended up into heaven, in Acts chapter 12, he got arrested. They were like, we're going to shut down the gospel, and we're going to shut down all these radicals, and we'll just throw them in prison. Well, there's this lady named Mary. There's lots of Marys in the Bible, but there's this one particular lady named Mary that was strong in her faith. She gathers all these Christians together and says, why don't we meet in my house and we're going to have a prayer meeting. Now you just say, well, that's a good thing to do. That's what we do with life groups. You don't have to worry about people kicking in your door and lighting your house on fire as a life group. You talk about the strong faith of this woman that had a son named Mark. She gathers the Christians together and they begin to pray. And they're praying for something that seemed to be impossible. Lord, get Peter out of prison. We ever pray for things that are impossible? Ever have this young man, and I don't know how Mark, he wasn't like a boy, but he was a young man. Watching the faith of all these Christians, some of them had followed Jesus and some of them had lost people and a lot of things are going on. And they begin to pray this outstanding prayer, God set this man free that he can preach the word of God. Well, God sends an angel. Angel walks right into the prison, kicks Peter literally, read the story, it's cool, wakes him up gets him up, his chains fall off his hands, he rises up, the doors open up, Peter begins to walk out, he goes through and the angel, the the Bible says that the angel led him through the quadrants of the prison, brings him right to the door of Mary's house, which was Mark's mom. Knocks on the door. Let me read this to you. And when they had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Where many were gathered together praying, As Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a damsel came and hearkened named Rhoda. Now, here's Rhoda. Now, just, I I don't have time to tell. I I just want you to know the history. You say, who is Mark? I'm telling you who Mark is. This is the first situation that we read about Mark. This girl named Rhoda, she's praying, and she's like, I don't know if anybody else hears. So she goes up and, now, that's kind of a scary thing, because anybody could have been busting in to tear that, that place apart and torture these Christians. And she's probably inching through the door and trying to keep them to where they can keep praying. And she goes, who is it? It's Peter. Peter? That's impossible. You're in prison. She didn't know what to do with it. So Rhoda runs back into all of them that are in there. You have to read the story. It's so cool. She says, uh, I know we're all praying, uh, but Peter's at the door. And they literally say, woman, thou art mad. Like, th- th- there's no way he's in prison. Get down here and pray for God to let him loose. Let that sink in. God, we want you to do great things. God begins to do great things, and we don't recognize what God's doing. You talk about our struggle with faith, and then Peter begins to beat on the door, and there's Peter in there. Now, now here's the crazy thing. This woman, Mary, is leading this charge of just a prayer meeting while they're this young man that is being part of this that is witnessing the hand of God at work. Do you know what all of us do in life? We're called just to bear witness of the greatness of our God. To repeat the stories, Mark is just soaking this in as he's watching the faith of his mom and all this is transpiring. Just so you know, there's this man named in the the Bible named uh, Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas go on these missionary journeys. They were related. The Bible says in Colossians four ten and Marcus sisters uh, Marcus sisters son Barnabas they were cousins. So now you have this where he's growing up, and Barnabas was one that traveled with Paul on, this, on his first missionary journey. And he says to Paul, as he's going on this missionary journey, he said, I'd like to bring my cousin. Now, I don't know all the reason behind it, but man, they saw potential in this young man named Mark. Man, he was zealous, and he was passionate about God, and passionate about the Word of God. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, But the Word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, where they had fulfilled their ministry. And they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, they, 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 they're going on this next missionary journey, going out to preach the word of God. And they bring this young man with them. You imagine Mark, you know, all excited. I mean, he's, he's not a child or whatever, but he's sitting there going, man, I can't wait. He probably was one that logged a lot, recorded scripture. Not, not that time he didn't know his scripture, but just recorded all the things that are happening. He's on this missionary journey, but something happens in the middle of that that brings a little confrontation. I don't know what it was, but in the middle of it, the Bible says in Acts 13:13, 13, 13, that Paul and his team go to Perga, and John departing from them, return back to Jerusalem. John, John, uh, so John Mark returns. I don't know why, but I can tell you this, Paul was not happy. I don't know if one day he just went up to him and says, guys, I, I, I'm, I'm homesick. I just want to go home and be with mom. And Paul is like, quit being a sissy. Come on, let's go, let's go. I, I don't know if it was a spiritual opposition that we're facing or it could have been they just, they didn't see eye to eye or their personalities didn't click. I don't know what it was, but I know that John Mark left them. and didn't finish. So when they get back and they start talking about the next missionary journey, Barnabas goes up to him and says, I think we should bring John Mark. And Paul was like, What? The boy that ran out on us, listen to this. He says in Acts 15:36, "And some days after Paul was uh, said unto Barnabas, let us go and visit our brethren into every city where they have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do." Barnabas determined to take with him John whose surname was Mark. So let's do this. Let's take this boy. I want to see God work in his life." Verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take with him, who departed from him from that city. And it went unto them to do the work. Have you ever had a conflict with another brother or sister in Christ? Couple. You just say, well, I must be broken because holy men of the Bible never did that. Well, let's see. And the contention was so sharp between them. I don't know what that means, but I can tell you Paul and Barnabas and Mark sitting over there like, what's going on? And they're like, I'm not bringing that boy. We got that far and he decides to go out. But he's a young man. Give him a chance. I gave him a chance. I brought him on the trip and he just wanted to get out of there. Barnabas stands up and says, listen, and I'm not going with you. I'll take that young man and we'll go do our own work. But instead they took Silas. And they departed asunder one from the other, and Barnabas took Marks and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being uh, recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Barnabas steps in and takes this young man under his shoulder to mentor him. I said, man, this is a lot of weird stories. I'm I'm getting there. This young man grows up to write the very words of God that we're going to study today. Did you know all this about Mark? Did you know where he came from? Do you know why he wrote with passion? Do you know why he loved God so much? Mark later meets out with Peter in Rome. And there, that's when Peter begins to tell the story of Jesus. And Mark begins to record all of these things because he knew that there was hurting people that needed to know the story of Jesus Christ. If you're wondering whatever happened between Paul and Mark, eventually they made things right. Right? And the Bible says at the end of Paul's life, listen, can you imagine these words that he spoke? Only Luke is with me. Paul is saying this on his deathbed or towards the end of his life. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. He says, man, I've seen God do a lot of change in his life. Bring him here and I want to, I, I want, I want to use him more. So let's start this book. We're not going to, use, we're not going to go to every verse but over the summer, I just want to take opportunity just to, just to tell you this story from this young man's perspective of Mark. Because during this time, Christianity was not popular. I've already said that. But time goes by. By the time Mark begins this, things are even worse. A man named Nero was in charge of things. And Rome was a mess during this time. If, if Christians were to stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ, they would do all these terrible things to them. Uh, they would have to hide in the catacombs. They would, they would torture them for, for standing for Jesus Christ and for preaching the gospel. Uh, I mean, there was terrible things that were happening around them all the time. Uh, they, they would hide in homes. They would do all these things. And this wicked man, history tells us that there was a great fire in the city of Rome in 64 AD. And this great, this, this great leader that was over all these people that everybody followed and feared... Decides, I'm going to take advantage of this. Eighty percent of the city burned over the span of 77 days. And then it did. Their economy was falling apart. You can imagine as this, this great tragedy was happening. And Nero stands up and goes, I've got an idea. The Christians started our city on fire. They are revolting because we won't follow them and we won't believe them. So all of a sudden, all this attention and hate was going against the Christians. Isn't it funny how Satan does that? He does it all the time. You know, we stand for marriage between a man and a woman and we're accused of hate. Uh, it, Satan's always going to twist things and make it a, about something else, what he does. So they took advantage of the situation. They, they would find the Christians and they would make public examples of them during this time. They would actually send out the military to be able to hunt these Christians down and not just kill them, not just arrest them, Some of the things they would do during this time, and I hate to be gross, but this is just the way that it is. They would take animal skins, wrap them around the Christians, send them out, and then send send hungry dogs after them that would just rip them apart like a wild animal. Some of the times that they would take the Christians, and this is all part of history as well, they would take the Christians, dip them, cover them in tar, tie them to a post... And use them as lights in the city, as an example, a public example. You follow Jesus, you preach Jesus Christ, this is going to be you. And they would torture the Christians as a public example, as they scream out in torture. Because they followed and listened and preached the name of Jesus Christ. They would take Colosseums, release the Christians to the center of the Colosseums, and then raise the gates for these lines to come out. And as entertainments... Watch them being ripped to shreds. And I'm talking people of all ages that was, this was happening to. This was not an easy time. During this time, the gospel was not written. If you heard the story of Jesus, it was because, hey, I, did you hear that one story that he did? No way, that's amazing. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus came. Hey, did you hear this one story about Jesus and Lazarus? Man, I've heard that. Man, I wish I could have been there. I would have loved to have been there. They had bits and pieces. They didn't have this. During a time that they're dying for a God, that they're wondering, where are you? Can you imagine? Hearing about the power of God raising the dead and the power of God healing the lame and the power of God doing this while you watch one of your fellow Christians being tortured and burned alive and thrown to the lines? Satan works in your mind. Where's that great God now? You are preaching the gospel. You are spreading the good news. Where is that God now? So around 65 AD, you can imagine the book of Mark was written. Can you imagine as they were Hiding in those homes and, and, and scared and all this craziness is happening in and this messenger who is literally if he took the gospel and he took the story of Jesus Christ and hid it with him and he ran into that house, he's risking his life to even share Jesus with them. To run into that house and them all like, Well, what's going on? What's going on? I've got something. Guys, I've got the best news ever. I can't wait to tell you. What do you have? So Mark met with Peter, and they sat down. and, And through the work of God and the hand of God, they wrote out the story of Jesus. Can you imagine? His tears began to go down their cheeks. The story, the whole thing, from the beginning, the whole thing about what he did and how he loved people. How he served us. The first time that he sat down in that dim lit room and began to turn the pages or read the scroll, tears fill the room. They hear about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to impact them on a level, for us, it's just like we just flip through. They've never had it, they've never had it. The promises and everything fulfilled through Jesus Christ that they were never able to read it in this way. It's so different. I I want you to keep this in mind. I mean, I I think sometimes we just begin reading it. But there's a reason that is different written than the Matthew and Luke and John. Why why was this one written so differently? You can imagine the book of Matthew when it was written later. It starts off like this, the first verse. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac began Jacob, and Jacob began Judas, his brethren. Is that important? Man, that's powerful stuff. He gives a different perspective. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth an order of declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Ooh, it's powerful. Man, let me tell you with confidence that I'm about to deliver some news that is vitally important to our faith. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John goes all the way back to when God spoke the words and created human history and creation and the, the seven days and all this other stuff. He said that same God came through Jesus and it's powerful. But Mark was so different. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't think that soaks into us. He said, I'm going to take you on a journey to the beginning of the story. And I'm going to tell you the gospel. Now, I, I know for us, we use the word gospel all the time. The gospel, the gospel. We sing about the gospel. But do you understand this was the birth of the gospel? The gospel is simple. It just means great news. It means good news. It means good tidings. So when he's reading that, and they're in the middle of dying and watching Christians burn alive and Christians be eaten alive by lions because they stepped out of their comfort on the share the faith to see converts... They never heard the words, I have good news. It was all about another believer died and my son was captured and my my husband was tortured and they weep and cry, but we do it for the cause of Jesus so they'd rise up and do it again. But this time they walked in with the power of the word of God. Do you understand that this wasn't just a book written by Mark? It was ordained and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God that came upon them. The very words that they spoke was the very presence of God in that room. And the Spirit of God began to work in that room. And they were hearing good news. They heard the gospel. They were hearing something different. What they were dying for. and What they were living for. And all these things. But it says of Jesus Christ. I think for sometimes we just brush over that so fast. Jesus. Christ. The world uses that as a cuss word. Jesus didn't have a last name. And I think we always say Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. But what's the word Christ? He was Jesus. He was the Christ. But what does that have to do with what's going on? Why in that moment, why didn't Mark just say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the Son of God. But he throws in the word Christ. See, the whole Old Testament was constantly pointing forward in history to, to, to things that were broken in the garden, things were broken and thorns and thistles and death and dying and separation from God and Cain and Abel and all that strife and everything that happens. But, the, but they had good news because in Genesis chapter 3, there was prophecy, prophetic. The Messiah would one day come The seed, a promise, a virgin, a nobody, a servant. And in that, he said, something's going to happen. He's speaking to Satan, and he said, I will put enmity, war between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Told Satan, you're going to bruise the heel of Jesus. Literally, it's going to be a blow to his foot. But I'm telling you what Jesus Christ is going to do on the cross is going to be a blow to your head. It would be fatal. And that was prophetic from the very beginning. And so history begins to unfold and he says that through Abraham, he's going to raise up through his seed and do this prophetic promise. Now, you've got to understand, generations are passing this down. Generations are talking about, one day there will be a Messiah. Tell me about it. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He says that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He said, I'm going to do a great work through your life. You know what they were talking about? The Messiah one day would come. When, when, when Jacob, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had a son named Judah. And the Bible says, And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, for Shiloh shall come. Shiloh was the Messiah, is going to come. And what's he going to do? And unto him shall gather all, all, all the people together, or the gathering of people be. The Messiah, the Prince of Peace is going to come. He's coming. That's why in Isaiah 7, 14, when it says, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a, a, a child. It's one day this is going to happen. But you've got to understand for years, it's like, is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? For years and years and nothing happening. But he wouldn't just be anybody. That name Messiah for us comes on as we just put it to this side. the side. The, the name Messiah had power. I mean, it it carried weight. It it meant something significant. I I know we know the name Jesus very well. But when they were describing Jesus and they said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to be ruling with power. And he describes and he said, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The promise of the Messiah. The Messiah meant the anointed one. In history, they knew what the anointed one would be because they had anointed ones in the part of their lives. There was three groups of people that were anointed in the Bible. There was three groups that when God would put his hand upon them or God would put his spirit upon them or God would breathe on them, when people would rise up to do what the typical person could not do, the first one was a prophet. The prophet is someone that would hear words from God and then repeat them. Jonah was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet. Hosea was a prophet. All these prophets would go. And when they would speak, they would say they're in power and be able to say something like, I've got a word from God. And the people would listen. And they would talk about things that were happening and talked about things that were going to happen because it was the anointing of God on their lives to speak truth in a way that nobody else could. Isaiah 61.1 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the mink. How was Isaiah able to do that? Because of the anointing of God on his life. The second one was priests. And priests would be a mediator between God and man. The priests would do something that was so different. The priests would go before God and make offerings or, or, or put the blood on the sacrifice or, or take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the Holy of Holies. And they would go before the people and then they would go before God. They were mediators between God and man. They, they were peacekeepers that put that altar. They were, the high priest would, were the only one that could go into the Shekinah glory of God and not die because he was ordained or touched or anointed by God to be able to do that. But then there was kings. We know this because when they called out David, they anointed him to be the king. The Bible talks about, I have found David, my servant, who with my holy oil have I anointed him. The oil represented the touch of God on his life. When David went out to throw the rock and bring down Goliath, it's because he had a touch of God on his life. And I know you're saying, where are you going with all of this? Every one of these things was talking about the anointing one, the one that would have the touch of God on their lives. But during this difficult time that they were going through, Mark gets right to the point. He doesn't begin the story like anybody else. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that the word Christ in the New Testament in the Greek was called the Messiah? He is the anointed one. He is not like anybody else. He's not just a prophet that came and spoke. He was the anointed one of God. And Matthew tells us about when Jesus Christ was baptized. And he went in the water and he came out and God himself, the Bible says that a dove came down from heaven. The dove was the spirit of God descending on him, literally stating to everybody in that moment, that is my anointed. He is from God, he is God. And when he spoke, it wasn't a prophet speaking. He didn't say, I come unto you in the name of the Lord. He said thus, I say unto you. You know why he said that? Because he was speaking the very words of God, because he was the son of God. He was the son of God. He spoke, they said, you speak as one having authority. No wonder he did. He was the authority. He was the anointed king. He is above authorities. He is El Elyon. He is the most high God. He is above them. They did not take his life because they could not take the King of Kings' life. The Bible says that he laid it down because they could not take it. He was a lamb to the slaughter. He was the servant. He was the servant. Mark was saying he gave his life. He was the anointed one of God, but he laid his life down for us. He's the anointed priest. But only this time, guys, he didn't sacrifice an animal. He gave his life and in his own blood sprinkled it and covered the failures and the sins of man and cried out to his father, it is finished. When they were saying, this man's different. When Mark was saying, I know what you're going through, but I'm telling you, He is Jesus. I've got good news. I've got the greatest news ever. But he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He is the Messiah. It meant that God keeps his promise. That he came out of the grave. He is is the conqueror. He is Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ. The disciples didn't fully understand this. But in Mark chapter one, Mark chapter two, he's speaking life, raising the dead, healing people, changing, speaking, talking the very words of God. And in eight chapters in it, we'll get there. He he speaks these words. and, And Jesus went out and his disciples in the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked the disciples saying unto them, who do men say that I am? Now, now, they could have said, they said that you're Jesus, which is that prophet that was king to do all these things. would have been true. When they answered, John the Baptist, some say that thou are Elias, and one of them, the prophets. And he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the one that's dictating this to Mark, Replies with these words, and Peter answered and said unto him, thou art the Christ. You are the hope that's going to change the world. You are our high priest that's going to go before God and pay for our sins. You are the prophet that's going to speak words They come directly from the lips of the Almighty God. You are the King that will wear a crown on the cross. You will come down and you'll wear a different crown when you come out of the tomb because you will conquer death, hell, and the grave. Do not ever, 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 use those words of Jesus Christ as profanity or a cuss word. Because I am telling you that Jesus Christ means that he is the Messiah. Messiah the anointed one of God. And Mark just finished it up at the, top, at the end of it and says, he is the son of God. He is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. He is the one that was going to give them hope to rise up out of that room, take the gospel of Jesus Christ, and go preach. And by the end of Acts, the Bible says that they turn the world upside down. You know why? Because they went in the name of Jesus Christ.